Welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I'm your host, Julia Tertian. Each episode of Keep Calm and Cook On features a meaningful interview and answers to listeners' questions about cooking. Thank you to Great Jones for making this episode possible. Great Jones makes beautiful, thoughtfully designed cookware. To find out more about Great Jones, head over to greatjonesgoods.com. For $25 off of any purchase on greatjonesgoods.com, use the code PODCAST. That's P-O-T-C-A-S-T. Hallie Bay Ramdeen is a writer and an editor. A lot of people talk to me about getting into food writing and ask how to break into it. And I love talking to other people about their paths. It was wonderful to speak to Hallie about hers. She has a master's in gastronomy from Boston University. And after school, she moved to Des Moines, Iowa, where she was the associate food editor at Better Homes and Gardens for three years. She returned home to Albany, New York, where she worked from home for the hugely popular website, The Kitchen, first as a food editor and then as the food director. She is now happily freelancing, and we talked a lot about what that looks like. I love talking to her about the nuances of print and digital, about the differences between writing and editing, which are really the differences between making a story and telling a story. Of the many takeaways from our conversation, the one that has stuck with me the most is asking the question, why you, when it comes to any type of storytelling? If you're someone who enjoys reading about food, I really hope you enjoy listening to Hallie and me, two women who love telling stories about it. Will you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Hallie Bayram-Dean. Hi, Hallie. Hi. Thanks for, for coming on. Thank you for having me. But I wanted to to back up a little first year education. Yeah. You have a, a it's a master's in gastronomy. Yes. From Boston University. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you first know that that was even an option to get like a degree in? Maybe like a year before I decided that was the thing uh-huh. I wanted to do. So I started off in undergrad. I went in as a biochem major. Um, I had always been on the pre-med track, always thinking about science. It was just very natural for me to like observe the world that way. And so I just gravitated towards it and I enjoyed it. And I did it for a long time. But I think what happens if you if you show any sort of you know, ability in the sciences, people present like two tracks to you. You can either be a doctor or you can be like a generic scientist. And so I chose doctor because I was interested in the human body. I was interested in the humanity of science, which for me translated into medicine. And uh, I went to school thinking like, that's the path that I'm on. And I think like this is a lot of people's stories. So it's interesting to tell it sometimes and hear the similarities from other people because there are these points of commonality that I store in my head as, as a result of it. But so um, I went in as a biochem major and I was just like, you know what, this is great. I'm still going to study science. But I think after one organic chemistry class, I was like, I'm going to switch to art history. So I switched to art history and ended up with That's a degree. That's a big jump. Oh, yeah. I have been sort of cooking that on the side. I went into college and I started taking art history classes from the very beginning. I just, it just felt right, like a thing that I needed to be doing. And so I had something kind of waiting in the wings to switch over to. But you graduate with a degree in art history and a degree in biology, and you're kind of like, I don't really know where to go with this. And uh, so I kind of did like the wandering around. After I graduated, I was working for a science program, teaching bio to kids like as an after-school science program. And I started reading blogs about food. 
That was right when that Were first you already boom. into cooking? I was not into cooking. I was into food. Okay. I had always been into food, like interested in food as a concept. Yeah. And like excited for not even yeah, I mean I loved to eat. My parents are very enthusiastic eaters. Food was always a story though in my house. So like I grew up understanding who I was because my parents told us who we were through food. Mm. So my father is West Indian, my mother is Black American, and she has her own food tra- food tradition. He has his own, so we were told about who we were through food. So I always had that experience in my life. And so I thought about food that way, like, oh, what is it telling you? But when I got introduced to food blogs and I realized that you could kind of think about food and eat food and experience food as a concept, I wanted to figure out, like, how do you make that a part of your life? Because I've been thinking about food that way my entire life. And... um you know, you figure out the right question to ask. And it was in that kind of year that I figured mm. out what was the so, right question. Yeah, I was going to ask. So it was a year of this kind of wandering? Yep. Yeah. Pretty much towards the end of college and then a year after. And I tried on a bunch of different things that yeah. didn't fit. I applied to yeah. business school. I mean, you know, I yeah. like, oh, you got to throw the darts against the board. Yeah. <laughs> None of them stuck. What food blogs were you reading? Um. Okay, it was early stuff. So it was like Smitten Kitchen. Honestly, I read The Kitchen a lot, uh-huh. which was, like, ironic to have worked for them. Yeah. You know, in the future. You were, a, you were a reader. I was a reader. Yeah. Oh, I was such a dedicated reader to that yeah. site. I remember it being the first thing I read every day at work because you could read um, the newest content down to, you know, what was published yesterday and feel like, okay, I'm all caught up mm-hmm. with the feed. Mm-hmm. And so every morning it was like a way to start my day. It's a little difficult to do that now with the way that we present digital information. Yeah. But the it was algorithm like reading, yeah. is just, you don't get that satisfaction of no. the scroll down. No, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like reading the paper for yeah. the day. You feel like you consume the news of the day. And so when the site was set up that way, that's how it felt for uh-huh. me. And so it was easy to start my day that way. Um, but I was reading about home cooking. That's what I was interested in. That's what I was attracted to. And when people showed how beautiful it could be. Not just how practical, but I feel like this was a space where home cooking was introduced as lifestyle. And I just saw so many similarities with the life that I'd already been living. Mm. You know, my mom made our life very beautiful. My mom lives a very beautiful life. And so I grew up in that experience. And so everything that I was seeing on these blogs, I saw in my own life. It was like, oh, I didn't know people talked about that kind of stuff. I didn't know you could tell stories about like the beauty that was just already around you. And so, um, you know, I had a why not me moment and I started a blog with my mom. Called, with your mom? Yeah, called Concrete Magnolia. And uh, the concrete was for me, for New York. <laughs> and the Magnolia was for her because she's from North Carolina. And uh, yeah, I started writing about food just wow. for myself, for, for each other. She was my reader. You know, and I would just get on these whims about food and she would just give me whatever I needed to sort of express them. And what do you mean she was giving? Was she writing as well or? No, she was helping me visualize it okay. sometimes. You know, we, we talked about it a lot. Got it. I think about it. So you it. guys would sort of talk and then you would write mm-hmm. based on those conversations. Yeah. Or like she would help me set up a photograph. Mm-hmm. You know, we would go out 
you know, antiquing and say, like, wouldn't this be a great plate for? She was like my prop stylist, yeah. my like, art director, you know, before I even knew what these terms were. Yeah. She was your, yeah. your partner. Yeah, my creative your partner, partner in, in this. Yeah. yeah, and we knew we, we were going to do that going into it. But um, it was only in retrospect that I realized I had been, like, basically having, like, a complete editorial experience. Totally. <laughs> Just me and my mom, like, vibing at home. There you 22. go. That's amazing. It was awesome. When when you say growing up, your parents kind of showed you who you were, who yeah. you were as a family, mm-hmm. you as an individual through food. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that looked like? Like, yeah. So, what, what was the answer to that kind of question? I mean, very distinctly, it would be on Saturdays, going into the weekend, my parents would say, "Do you guys want American breakfast or Jamaican breakfast?" Mm-hmm. We got to choose, and if it was Jamaican breakfast on a Saturday morning. My dad was making ackee and salt fish. He and was, he would cook it. Yeah, he would cook okay. it. My my mom didn't cook Jamaican food. Mm-hmm. My dad cooked it. And he probably cooked once a week because we had Jamaican breakfast once a week. Um, and, you know, ackee and salt fish, plantains, callaloo, that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, you could not get more distinct about this is who you are. This mm-hmm. is your food. And so, like, I just understood that. And then when my mom cooked, it was grits with mm-hmm. salmon or it was, you know, grits and scrambled eggs or she would make something that was a little bit more in the sort of like first wave health food vein because she's a child of the 70s. So there was that food and that was her food. That was American food. And so I, I grew up with this very clear understanding that parts of my individuality that fed into my identity were told to me through food and because that information was presented to me so clearly, I started asking questions about it, you know, around it. And so those were the questions that had always been happening alongside every single other interest, the science, the art history, the writing, you know, the blogging, the photography. Um, and blogging, because there it was an intersection of a lot of these interests, you know, people were writing about food science or they were writing about home cooking I wanted to know where could you go to do that, you know, in a formalized way. And, I, you know, somehow I figured out what the right question to ask was. And it, it led me to either NYU or BU has these two food studies programs for people who are interested in food as a lens to look at life, to ask big questions. And, yeah, the BU program was the one that worked out best for me. And so that's where I went. And I and how long of a program is it? It's two years. Yeah. Yeah. And other students who you went to mm-hmm. this master's program with yeah. who are also holding the same degree, yeah. what are what are they doing? Do you keep up with them? Do you yeah. have, like, friends from? I, I do, yeah. yes, definitely. Um, that was the interesting part of the program. It really was self-directed yeah. in, a, in a way. So there was a strong culinary component, so a lot of people ended up in the culinary arts. So there are a lot of chefs mm-hmm. and pastry chefs from the program. Um, I have a friend who's a pastry chef, and that's um, – that's how she interpreted. She went in with an interest in wedding cakes. And so she worked for a gluten-free bakery for a long time. And, you know, we talked a lot about, like, the trajectory of wellness in the pastry industry. You know, it's stuff like that that allowed you to come back to those conversations. Um, a lot of people went into the academic academic realm and are doing, like, formalized research in areas of food, um, like American history mm-hmm. or, you know, different food ways, like regional food ways. Um and I think a lot of people did it to enrich their lives. It, it's definitely that kind of program as well. If you have a deep curiosity, like this is a place to explore in food. Um, 
And then there are a handful of people that went into writing and editing as well. It's just a way to do that exploring and and consuming of all this information. Would you ever like imagine maybe going back to a program like that in a teaching capacity? Has that ever crossed your mind? You know, I've thought about it. Any of the teaching I've done has been more in the the writing about Mm -hmm. food space because that's the space I've been in. Um, But uh, when I get into conversations like this, I get nostalgic for that Mm -hmm. feeling. So for your alma mater, yeah, just for the the openness yeah. of discussion around food, where it doesn't necessarily have to turn into a strategy, yeah, <laughs> right and away, to, yeah, just to have the space to talk about it in and a think way about that, it, yeah, yeah, you should host a podcast. <laughs> Come on, let's talk about food and nothing else. Oh, my God, amazing. Um, so you went from from Boston with this master's. Did you go directly to Iowa, to Des Moines? Yes, actually. Or was there a oh, in-between? Man. No, so I was – what did I – so I interned a bunch while I was at BU because I had decided that I wanted to be an editor, a magazine editor in particular, Um which, you know, it eventually it made a lot of sense that I ended up going in that direction. I grew up in a house that was filled with magazines. Mm. I grew up reading magazines more than I read books sometimes, you know, like articles, feature stories, everything. That was and like who the was buying them? Both oh, your parents? Your no, mom? Just my mom. That's hers. <laughs> That's her thing. Is she a holder on yes. the magazines? Yeah. Does she have stacks? You know what? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There was this one moment where. I have to go to your mom's house after. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like. Let's grab her. We'll get her for lunch or something. Um, there was once I go into the house, and she's sitting at the kitchen table. She's got these, like, big, funky glasses on. There's, like, a cup of tea in front of her. And the whole kitchen table is covered with magazines that have been opened and her sticky notes and her, her, her like, accoutrement, right, for reading magazines. And I'm like walking over. This is not a new sight to me. I'm used to this. So this doesn't phase me. But I'm walking over and kind of looking at what's going on. And uh, I realize that about five things immediately jump out to me because I have them saved on a Pinterest board. And I'm just like, this woman has been Pinterest before mm-hmm. Pinterest was Pinterest. Oh, yeah. And also it's, it's sometimes very jarring to see your own behavior like the point of origin of it right in front of you, oh, you know? And I, yes. It's like looking in the mirror. Uh, I have a lot of these moments with my mother. And right? There's a lot of parallels. Yeah. yeah. Big and, time. And so it was just like this like really important special moment for me because I realized, and I was like, I'm really just, I'm just continuing to tell a story that she started telling a mm. long time ago. And there have been hallmarks about where that's been very intentional, like, concrete magnolia and there have been places where it was just like pure ordinary magic to like witness that and walking into that kitchen and seeing that having that moment that's when I realized of course I want to be a magazine editor and so yeah the transition from BU to Iowa happened in a matter of months it was really like shocking to move from you know always being in a northeastern city to the midwest um, and not knowing anyone, but I just, I wanted to write and work in magazines. How'd you get the job? I, I applied. Yeah. Yeah. You just heard there was like the opening. I, and- I was looking for jobs mm-hmm. in magazines and I had interned, uh, you know, for a summer at Bon Appetit 
and at Slow Food USA. So once I decided that magazines were for me, I like mm-hmm. made a point of getting experience in that space. Yeah, and so I felt really prepared when I applied, and I and I joined um, the food department at Better Homes and Gardens. Oh goodness, what year was this? 2012, um, as the associate food editor. And how long were you there? I stayed there for three years. Yeah, yeah. and you lived in Des Moines. Lived in Des Moines. And you told me you you really loved it. I loved it. Yeah. For all the reasons I love Albany. Yeah. It's got that like easiness about it uh-huh. that makes other things easy. Yeah. The things that I I like the slowness around it because I can think about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team was really amazing. Worked with like amazing people. And to see how a magazine got made at that level, you know, with that level of skill and thought and legacy behind it, you know, it was really interesting to experience it right when food was becoming trendy. Mm-hmm. You know, media about food was like the trendiest thing you could consume. And here I was, like in my early 20s, working for Better Homes and Gardens, which was like on your mom's coffee table. But one of the biggest. But the yeah. biggest. And if I just, not, yeah. it was a masterclass mm-hmm. in what it meant to create really meaningful story and service around food. I didn't even know I was. That millions of people. Millions we'll of see. people. Mm-hmm. Millions. And like how much integrity is required to do that and how much trust people put mm-hmm. in you when you do do it well over time and how that becomes an expectation and working with people that took that very seriously. Um, it's where I really started thinking about the relationship between the writer and the editor and the reader and what my responsibility was as an editor in that sort of trifecta. Um, and I don't know if I had hopped, spa- if I went straight into digital, I don't know if I would have learned that. Mm. And what is that responsibility? It's clarity in the conversation. Yeah. So a writer, you know, their intention is to like transmit information, share a story, give you a tool, whatever. The reader needs to know that in some way. They have to, you know, at the end of the piece, something should be understood. And my job as an editor is to only interfere to make sure that conversation is happening in the best way possible. And that's how I've always approached it. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm in, you know, the prose space editing or if I'm editing a recipe or just a body of copy. That intention remains. Mm-hmm. And that was something I learned there. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel like there's there's so many people um, – young people, people transitioning careers, all ages, but people who are so interested in getting into food media. And I think there's so often a desire to be the voice yeah, (laughs) and not as much to be an editor, to be the kind of shepherd of that voice to the reader. And did you know, you said there was a moment when you just really felt like being a magazine editor was the thing. Was that something you sort of considered? You had been blogging, you had been writing, I, I, you know, there was a point in time when I didn't really even understand the distinction mm-hmm. between being a writer and an editor um, because I have always been a prolific writer. And what I understood from editing was that you were the person that got to make the story, much like a photographer makes a photo. Um, you don't always have to be the person that tells the story, mm-hmm. but you can make the story. Mm-hmm. And I think I was introduced to that concept through the reading of magazines. And when I thought about the thing that I wanted to do, not the thing that I am, which was always, you know, I always put writer first. But the thing that I wanted to do was, like, be a magazine editor. Um, 
to do magazine editing. It made it a little bit simpler to understand what that responsibility was if I was going to do that thing. And then if I was to show up as my writer self, what that different responsibility was. And so sometimes that becomes a problem because, you know, having a feet, a foot in those two things, you know, you operate from a place of duality, which mm-hmm. is confusing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes I feel like my writing is what struggles as a result of it. But I enjoy the experience of like crafting a story and helping someone tell it the best way they can. And, you know, when I do it well, I can take that information back into my own writing practice or I can go to people that I feel like are good editors because I think I have a good idea of what that looks like and ask them to help me when I inhabit the writer space. So that's been an interesting sort of way to use that trajectory in my own life. That's really interesting. What do you, I have a a two-part question since you've been you know, on both sides of Mm -hmm. of the coin. Um, (laughs) What do you wish more writers kind of considered when it comes to their relationship with their editor? And also, what do you wish more editors kind of considered when they're kind of communicating with their writers? You can answer in either order. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it's different in every space. So in the service journalism space, the priority has always been the reader. And service journalism. Right. So service journalism, this is like kind of better homes and gardens. uh You know, you're giving information that provides the ability for someone to do something. There's like takeaways. Yeah, exactly. Like this provides a service. Mm -hmm. Either you're going to like figure out what to make for dinner or I'm going to give you the tools to find the best doctor. Like All kinds of service journalism. But the point of it is to give you information. Um, Whereas, you know, if you're just writing a story – and the point is to tell the story um, the way the expectations that I have of the editor and the writer are very different. Um, the one thing that doesn't change is I I always want to see a little bit of the per- the writer in the story no matter what. Because otherwise, like, why you? Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, why you has a lot to do with making good service journalism better. Um, and that was something that I really enjoyed doing at Kitchen, that we thought about. Um, who was telling the story and for whom quite a bit in the food department that I was. And I had a great team that thought about it that way too. So in that space, I wish um, I wish more editors allowed for the individuality in that space of the writer, um, even if it's just, you know, basic everyday kind of information. But who's telling that story really does matter. So if you're trying to figure out, you know, a meal plan, for example, um, for a family of four, you have to really understand who that family of four is, you know, and why you're writing for them and what's who's the best writer to tell that story. And the same thing goes, you know, from a writer's perspective, like, why you? You should know that when you're writing that piece. And then, you know, in the more writerly space, um, I think it really comes down to, like, the intention of the story you're telling. And just making sure that I'm aware of that intention as your editor and you're aware of that intention as a writer and that we're collaborating mm-hmm. on making sure that that happens. So why Yeah, is like the big question. Yeah. And yeah. you can be discovering the why in the writing. Mm-hmm. That's fine. As long as you're cognizant of it. That's really what it is. I guess like practicing awareness in your writing is really important no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Editor, writer. So if 
if you're on the side where you're doing it for service journalism or anything else, you should really know why you're doing it. Yeah. 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 It's, I feel like it's such a kind of obvious question, but it's one that I know I definitely kind of slip up in asking mm-hmm. pretty frequently because yeah. you're just doing, but you're not kind of pausing to sort of reflect yeah. on why. Well, yeah. and sometimes it's easy to give prepackaged answers to that mm-hmm. question because it can be jarring mm-hmm. to be asked that yeah. question, especially if you're being asked it and you haven't been before. Mm-hmm. And so I do, I do try to practice that and mm-hmm. even how I line edit mm-hmm. the questions that I ask people when I line edit. So that emerges even if I'm not naming it, that they know that what I'm getting to is why are you doing this so I can help direct you in this piece. But um, yeah, there are ways to show it and not have to tell it. When you are writing, when mm-hmm. you're occupying the, the writer's seat. Yes. Do you write for any particular person or audience? Are you imagining someone? You're asking all the big questions (laughs) that are coming up right now in my like actual writing practice. Um, You know, my introduction to writing, even as a thing I wanted to do, was through journaling. Mm. And so, like, I was my only audience. That is so interesting. You know, and so I have gone from. Writing in a journal, which I continue to do, like a daily practice. By hand? Yes. Okay. And to inhabiting these big legacy voices when I'm writing to Better Homes and Gardens and trying right now, I'm in this space right now, it's like kind of soup. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm trying to figure out, well, what what is the voice that just shows up when I'm not writing on behalf of anyone, nor am I just writing for myself? This is writing that is meant to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not writing that has a particular goal in mind yet. I don't, you know, I'm still exploring the yeah. intention of it. Yeah. Um, but that itself, this is kind of meta, that itself has made for good writing because it's a good question. Yeah. And you're writing your way yeah. to that answer. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what it becomes, but there's enough authenticity and the desire for the action to be sincere. Mm-hmm. So. It's, you know, I don't, I don't know who it is yet. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> when do you, your journaling that you do every day, is that in the morning? Are you like a first thing? Or? Um, No, it, it doesn't have. Um, it's not no. like a morning pages. No, kind of it's thing. not. I've okay. tried that so many times. <laughs> I'm one I of wish the, I could capture the look uh, on your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a complete defeat. There was an eye roll. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm feeling. You know, I've tried it so many times. It's been recommended to me. Yeah. Oh, I haven't done it. I'm not yeah. advocating for it. I'm just curious. I, think it's I a hear great, a lot of people talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a great practice for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I do it when I'm a part of a community that's mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. So I've been to like writing retreats where you, we all show up yeah. together yeah. and write in the morning. And that's amazing. It's like raises the consciousness yeah. in the room. That's an assignment. Yeah. Yeah. And don't mind that with yeah. writing, actually. I love that. Yeah. So, um, no, it's kind of like I'm really trying to figure out when I have something to say. And so that's like an awareness that I'm trying to fine tune. Mm -hmm. And when it happens, I prioritize it and Mm -hmm. I will stop what I am doing and write. Yeah. And that's been like a gift I've given myself. Yeah, that's really great. And I think probably on the flip side of that, sometimes it's okay if – you don't have something to say right oh, at this moment. Yeah. I still write about that. Though. Yeah. That's the trick. <laughs> that is the trick. That is literally the trick. Just to, to keep, kind just of to keep, keep your it, muscle yeah. flexed. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're still writing. Yeah. And the point is to chronicle your thoughts sometimes. And so even if a lot of the thought is, I don't know, I'm here, I don't have anything to say, but like, look, I'm here. Eventually that becomes throat clearing. 
and you do get to something. And that is the thing that you forget every time you show up and say, I don't have anything to say, but eventually you do. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of like even gotten used to my own nonsense of writing through all of that first stuff to get to maybe having something to say. It's not always great. Yeah. But I do say something at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the first (laughs) thing I was just kind of thinking when you were mentioning that is like my own work in therapy mm-hmm. and there, I will have sessions where I'm like well that was pointless like, <laughs> but then it's like you in talking through the kind of muck yeah. every day then you get to those kind of more breakthrough yeah. sessions but you can't have those every time sometimes you just have to write the whatever you do yeah I yeah guess I didn't mean for this to be a metaphor but like it is kind of like this Albany thing that I'm so like deeply attracted to I just feel like ordinariness allows for profound breakthroughs. Mm. And um, when you're doing like a regular thing, I think that's when like glimmers happen. And so journaling has become just this regular thing I do. And every now and then I will stumble upon something that I have to say that I didn't know I had to say. Mm. And I will be happy to have known it as a result. It's a good feeling when you're writing when there's a surprise. Yeah. You, I, you know, And yeah. that comes from, you know, being your own audience sometimes. Like, oh, this, this is surprising me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have something to say that could surprise others. Yeah. And then those are the, th- the little threads that I try to pull from the journal to turn into an essay or, you know, turn that into a story or add a thread or take it to a conversation, which has really been a really wonderful way of taking, you know, those thoughts that you encounter in your journal or whatnot into the real world and test drive them with other people. I mean, like we're kind of doing that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounding it out. Yeah. You you went from Better Homes and Gardens, mm-hmm. this legacy magazine, yes. millions and millions of readers, yes. and then you went to the kitchen. Yeah. So you went from print to digital. You went from, you know, a magazine to a site. You went from Des Moines <laughs> back to Albany. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you went from working in an office to working at home. Yeah. And you went to uh, a position where you were you were planning and producing, was it 200 pieces of oh content gosh. a month? Is yeah. that the right number? Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the um, the transition? Like, when did you know it was time to leave the Des Moines party, the Better Homes and Gardens party, and go somewhere else? You know, it wasn't so much needing to leave because everything there was really lovely. mm And um, from, like, a professional point of view, to stay in a world where you get to dream up stories and then if you can sell them and other people believe in them and they think that they'll work for the magazine, they get made, that was like a fantasy land. And I'm working with such talented art directors and photographers and writers and other editors. I mean... As a person that really wanted to be a magazine editor, I really entered into like La La Land Mm -hmm. when I got there. So it wasn't about leaving, but it was about like what was the frontier I was missing. You know, I totally had FOMO, you know, and it was for the digital realm. And I had started blogging. You know, that was my introduction to food. And so even though magazines have been and will continue to be like deeply important to me, I am aware of the current landscape and aware like the emergence of new voices and information and ideas were happening. And I wanted to be there. And that was the internet. And I'm still really devoted to like home cooking as a space that I wanted to be exploring. And also 
looking for an opportunity to more deeply explore those intersections of food, of identity, of culture, of of finance, of economics. I wanted to talk about food and money. I wanted to talk about well-being. And um, Kitchen was the only place on the web that had that presence for me. And um, I had continued to read it since that very first day. Yeah, yeah, that and was your watched it part of your your entry. Yeah, always. And and how long were you at the kitchen? How many years? Ah, uh, three. Yeah, yeah. That I, seems to be your number. Yeah, it's my yeah. number. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky yeah. three. Yeah. Um, what would you say was the biggest difference between working in an office and working at home? Because when you your three years at the kitchen, you were working from home. Yes. Um, boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> boundaries and time management. And uh, just um, recognizing that, like, your discipline around those two things are going to be critical for success and health and, like, well-being. And when it comes to that type of discipline, Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to working from home and requiring it, do you have any advice? I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) I think about this a ton. Me too. I've only ever worked from home. I've never had never, the office yeah. okay. experience, mm-hmm. so I don't have a comparison, which I don't know if that's better no. or worse. I don't know. I think that there are skills that you learn in both places, and I've done a lot of swapping mm-hmm. of skills. I read a lot about this space, so I, I do try on techniques that other people have um, brought forth. So I'm a big fan of deep work, which I, I can't remember that guy's name. I think Cal Newport. Um Basically, it's this idea that when you are doing work, that you do it in a way that's like kind of uninterrupted, kind of monk mode, you know? And so I definitely use that in my life. I know when I have work that has to happen and I can't do anything else. There can't be my phone. There can't even be music sometimes. And that's usually editing mm-hmm. when I'm like focused you're editing. Yeah, oh, I'm in. And sometimes I'll do this um, add-on called batch work where I do the same task back to back. So I I will save all of my emailing and do all of my emailing for an hour rather than checking my email, you know. Oh, every, while you're doing other stuff. Yeah, or just like it. having okay. it up. It's even like having the t- Yeah. Yeah. So then when you're done you can close that tab. Yeah. Basically, I don't multitask. Mm. And I'm very good at multitasking, yeah, but I don't do it anymore at all. And so I do work faster. I do work better and I feel like satisfied that I gave all of my attention to something for less time. Yeah. And and that works. It's like works smarter, not it, yeah. longer or whatever that line Yes, is. harder, whatever. Yeah. I understand. I feel like I'm working harder, <laughs> but it's fine because I prefer what it produces. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you have um, like dedicated times? Like – for these kinds of zones and, and batch working? I do. I, I I do. So I basically either Sunday or Monday, I look at the week ahead and I figure out like what goes where. I figure out like what classes I want to take this week. I figure out like what day am I going to be available for phone calls. I stack my phone calls, mm. which is something that I kind of picked up from how we structured our time at Kitchen. So I take all my phone calls on Tuesdays, you know, that kind of thing. Um because a part of working from home, the biggest lesson is, like, I own my time. Yeah. And sometimes I want to not do anything on Thursdays and Fridays 
except for whatever comes up on that day. And so I will stack. Which is the joy of, of yeah, freelancing. Exactly. So I will that's stack an option. it. Mm-hmm. Stack Monday through Wednesday. When you say figure out what classes you're taking, what kind of classes? Oh, it's like a yoga class. Oh, like exercise classes. Yeah, yeah. That oh, kind of thing. I thought you meant like a... I was like, what? Well, I'm mean, learning I, a language. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I take a yoga class and I take a Got writing it. class. Yeah. Which is also essential. Yeah, super I essential. I feel like the work both you and I do freelance, basically writing and yep. editing from home. Yep. I mean, mostly I'm sitting and I'm in my head and I find oh physical gosh. exercise to be more yeah. for my mental health than my physical health. 100%. Is it the same for you? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It really changed for me. I mean, I I only used to think about movement to produce a result of like fitness. Mm -hmm. And now that's just an added bonus, you know, getting out, especially when you're on the computer all the Mm -hmm. time. Switching over from print to digital was also switching over to a digital experience of the world, Mm. you know, on the computer for eight hours, Mm -hmm. just like looking at a screen. Even though and digital literally never ends, no, you could just gosh. keep going. And, and just, there's like a last page of a magazine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a friend that always used to say that magazines were the last form of uninterrupted media. You know, nothing was like popping up in your yeah. face, and also you sign off, right? You're on your laptop or whatever, and you just transition to your phone. Mm-hmm. I was doing that. Mm-hmm. I was so plugged in. Were you like falling asleep to your phone? Oh, and, it was so bad. Yeah. It was so Do bad. You still? I, no. no. Oh my gosh. No way. No. I like totally cleaned up my digital hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Are you a good sleeper? I'm not. You're not. No. And I and I'm very protective of my sleep yeah. as a result. Yeah. yeah I have I'm similar. Yeah. Process. It's a, it's, it's a struggle. <laughs> yes. Getting there. Yeah. Magnesium. Magnesium. That's my You take like the powder? Yes. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah. Full of tips. Look at these takeaways. It's service journalism. You're now in full-blown freelance mode. full-blown. What are your metrics of measurement for success now? What does success mean to you? That's a great question. How do you sense it and feel it? Um, Do I own my time? Am I doing things that feel good? And uh, am I chasing my curiosities? And am I working with people and having conversations that are satisfying and stimulating? And am I doing something that feels like it's making the world around me more beautiful or helping someone or telling a a story that needs to be told? And if I can, that's like a personal rubric. And if those things are showing up, if I can check those boxes, then it's the thing to do. How often do you um, kind of check in and sort of think about those boxes? Is that frequently? Frequently. Yeah, very frequently. Sometimes on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes like more formally you know, on a monthly basis. I do a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of um, measuring what I'm aware of and how I make choices. Before I make a new choice, I kind of like check in with what I have going on because that's the other part of freelancing that I know you know about. It's like there's a lot going on and time is, you know, a commodity and you have to decide how to use it and how to spend it and what value it has. And so I have to know really clearly about what's going on before I say yes or no to mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a privilege to ha- be able to practice that kind of discernment of time. And so I try to have a lot of integrity when I practice it. So ha- I have to know how I feel and then make choices from a place of truth. When you uh, have been talking about checking in with yourself about how you feel mm-hmm. 
because this is a podcast, I feel like I should say out loud, you keep like, you touch your, <laughs> like your heart. chest, yeah. yeah, your heart. Yes. <laughs> is it, so do you know the answer to that question from like a physical place? Like, like your um, body tells you? It's both. Yeah. I have like historically been a person that's more like cerebrally oriented in my decision making. I'm like very pragmatic, but I have been really trying to figure out when I'm getting like a feeling about something and using that as the information that I also need to make a choice and a decision. And it has been very instructive. You know, I I feel myself making decisions very differently now than I have in the past, mostly just based on like how things feel. Mm -hmm. So when I say like, does it feel good? If that's a metric, it really is one that I'm asking and measuring against and newly learning what that could mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I'm in a similar place. And mm-hmm. it's, I think, the more I exercise that kind of muscle, right. the more comfortable it gets. But yes. it definitely feels scary, at least to me. It feels super scary. Sometimes it feels super woo-woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a little skeptic-woo about yeah. that kind of stuff. Skeptic-woo. Skeptic-woo. I love that phrase. Oh but <laughs> a friend of mine, sort of, I was telling her about this sort of disco- this dichotomy in me where I'm like, look, I like really want crystals and stuff, but also like identity-based habits really work. <laughs> I'm like on the on the uh, the cusp of those t- those two things, and she's like, oh, you're such a skeptic-woo. Sounds like when I'm great. teetering. That's great. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people contain multitudes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Can I ask you a, a sort of practical logistical question? Yeah. A non-woo-woo yeah. question? Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to your now freelance life, mm-hmm. uh, can you support yourself financially through mm-hmm. your work? Yeah. Is that happening? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Um, and it was um, something that was thought about very strategically before I jumped. Mm-hmm. Um, how so? Tell me more about that. I mean, literally, what's my cost of living? Yeah. How much money do I need to make? What am I willing to do to make money? What am I not willing to do to make money? How much free time do I want? You know, all of the practical questions that need to get answered so you can formulate a plan. I asked them, mm-hmm. and then I worked my plan. Yeah. And that's kind of, honestly, it's, it's so unromantic and extremely pragmatic, but you get to all the romance of living after that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a big believer in planning your work and working your plan. Yeah. And to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And that happened because in my career, Better Homes and Gardens and Kitchen and the freelance work that I've done, I I had to take a step back and say, like, well, how did you get here? Mm-hmm. And it was a plan. And so why not try that again? Yeah. And in terms of this, you know, will it work for you to get to where you want to go? Do mm-hmm. you do you have anywhere that not you want right to be? Now. No. Yeah. Just here. Yeah. Just here is quite nice. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean I don't I that's all you could ask for. It's right? fresh. It's yeah. it's a new place that I'm in. I don't even know, you know, the expanse of it. So I'm just kind of like doing laps and seeing where the perimeter is mm-hmm. at this point. And how long has has freelancing? It's been a few months. It's not... uh, I started in August okay. of, of 2018. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just a few months. Yeah, yeah. So far, so good. So far, so good. That's great. Yeah. Are you are you mostly? Is your work divided between many outlets? Yeah. Or, yeah. So I um, I do some writing. So I wrote the January cover story for Rachel Ray magazine, which was really fun to be back in that magazine space. Mm-hmm. Um. 
am working on editorial strategy for Clean Plates, which is a health and wellness website. I'm doing a bunch of like little one-off articles here and there. I'm working with this really great organization, Feet in Two Worlds, um, and we're putting together an issue on food in Detroit and on borders and identity in that space. And that's extremely satisfying because they're a journalism bureau that is committed to telling the stories of immigrants and having immigrant food journalists tell those stories. And to me, working on that project is such a privilege, but also it's a it's a playground for me because I get to bring in all of these like divergent skills in the digital space and the reporting space and the food space and the you know identity space, some of the academic experiences I've had to make this issue. And so there are things that I'm doing now that I hadn't been able to do before, which are like extremely satisfying, you know, like not using those muscles and getting to use them now mm-hmm. is a part of why you jump into the freelance world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of variety. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Feet in Two Worlds is so awesome. It's an amazing organization. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. Thank you. Thanks. This is really great to like reflect on on this work that that we both do. Yeah. Um, and you've done in so many different forms and different places. And I'm just really excited to see, you know, what you keep writing. Me too. I'll let you know when it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I have one final question. Okay. That I love to ask everyone. Okay. <laughs> which is, you kind of spoke about this a little bit, but what was your favorite thing to eat when you were growing up? First thing that comes to mind. Oh, wait. First thing? Oh, it depends on what day of the week it was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If my mom was cooking, if my mom was cooking probably breakfast, she makes the best eggs. I wrote about them on the kitchen. She she makes them in a cast iron pan that she turns on and preheats for seriously an unsafe amount of time because she'll like pick up the phone and walk away and forget that the pan is on. And basically like, bunch of olive oil or coconut oil or butter. She gets a pan like smoking hot. Then she puts in black pepper and basically into the fat. Into the fat. So it's just like snapping everywhere and it's dangerous. And then beats a bunch of eggs, throws them in the pan with a ton of sharp white cheddar. And it's just like insanely delicious. And it's like something that she makes because she's not following anyone's rules. Yeah. It's like against every single yeah. piece of conventional wisdom. And it will set the fire alarm off because the oil will smoke, but it's incredible. It's my favorite. And then if my dad is cooking, it's it's like Jamaican food. It's ackee and saltfish. Sounds so good. Or maybe curry goat. Yeah. It's hard to choose. Yeah. You can have more than one. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. Yeah. And toast. And toast. Yeah. I love toast. <laughs> any particular type? Yeah. Sourdough with curry gold. Mm. The end. Very particular. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. You had that. Line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And you'll have that with your eggs. No, that's like a whole different that's entity. That's its own thing. Yeah. Got it. That all sounds so good. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And just a quick word about Great Jones, who helped make this episode possible. Great tools are just like great ingredients. They make you want to get in the kitchen and enjoy your time there. Since Great Jones sent along one of their enameled cast iron large pots, which they call the Duchess, I haven't taken it off my stove. First of all, it looks great. And second, it's just so versatile. I cover dry beans with water, bring the whole thing to a boil, cover the pot, and then tuck the whole Duchess in my oven at like 275 for a few hours, and the beans come out perfectly. I've made popcorn in it, and it cooks so evenly. 
I've even used the Duchess to cook down three whole bunches of greens that I've chopped and cooked down with a bunch of garlic and oil. Thanks, Great Jones, for making my day-to-day cooking feel a lot more inspired. And thank you for supporting Keep Calm and Cook On. Want to check out their wares? Just head over to greatjonesgoods.com. For $25 off of any purchase on greatjonesgoods.com, use the code POTCAST. That's P-O-T-C-A-S-T. And now it's time to answer listeners' questions. Remember, if you have a question for me, just send me a DM on Instagram at tertian, T-U-R-S-H-E-N, or drop an email to keepcomandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. One word, no punctuation. And now I'm going to pass the microphone to my wife, Grace, who will ask the questions. Okay, Julia. Your first question comes from Eugenie Gleason, who says... I like sautéing a big batch of greens at the beginning of the week to throw in a variety of meals, but I am over my olive oil and garlic routine. Do you have any suggestions for more exciting greens? So I have two ideas. They're both totally vegan. The first is to start by sautéing an onion uh, in just some olive oil, add a little bit of smoked paprika, and then add your greens, chopped kale, collards, whatever you're cooking, uh, season them with some salt, add a splash of water or vegetable stock, cover the pot, let them cook down. They're going to taste really rich and kind of long cooked. They'll be a little bit sort of meaty tasting from that smoked paprika, even though there's no meat. Um, So that's a great pot of greens. Another idea is to do your usual kind of garlic olive oil thing, but also add some fresh ginger and a big pinch of cumin seeds. Um, Cook that down just until it's really aromatic. Then add your chopped greens. And instead of a splash of water or stock, add a little bit of coconut milk. Let the greens kind of cook down and that get really soft and tender. It's a totally different kind of flavor, um, but it's, you know, the same technique, also really easy. Okay, question number two comes from KAR or CAR Scholarship Fund, who would like to know, when did your love of cooking start? Was it as a child? Totally as a child. I have cooked since before I can even remember. Um, I have always, always been drawn to the kitchen. I like to joke that I never had an easy bake oven. I was straight to the real thing. So yeah, since before I can remember when I was really, really little. The next question comes from Mo Joan who would like to know, have you always had a positive relationship with food or have you struggled? Do you have any advice for the latter? I have definitely struggled having a positive relationship with food, um, and it's it's a relationship I still struggle with sometimes. Um, that's gotten a lot better. I would say it's a work in progress. Um, and I have found from talking to so many colleagues and friends over the years that there's a lot of us working in food who have had complicated relationships with food. So whether that's, you know, fellow cookbook authors or chefs or bakers, a lot of us who are so into food have had a hard time in the past. <laughs> and for me, in terms of of advice, one is, is my work. Um, I get to write really uh, positive stuff about food. I get to write about how food can fit into your life in these really wonderful ways. And that helps me kind of navigate my own relationship with how food fits into my life. The other thing that has been hugely helpful is therapy. I have done lots of different types of therapy over the years. Um, and the one that has been most effective for me is EMDR, which is a really common PTSD treatment, actually. And it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, but there's actually lots of different ways to do it. Uh, that's a whole other kind of sidebar. But that has been something that's really effective for me that I highly recommend finding a therapist who practices that. It's really helped me kind of, uh, you know, kind of reimagine what my relationship with food can be and it can be a really positive one. 
Your next question comes from Osu Christina, who says, if you were stranded on a desert island, what three non-perishable foods would you want with you? I would definitely put coffee at the top of that list. Um, I would also put probably beans, uh, like dried beans can last forever. And, um, you know, you can have a good meal. And I think I would also probably put peanut butter on that list. I don't know. I can think of so many other things. Grace, what would your three things be? Um, Okay. My question is, am I allowed to bring three different forms of chocolate? Let's say we're on this island together because that would be my preference. (laughs) So we can have six things all together. So I said coffee, peanut butter, which I'm really bringing for you (laughs) because you love peanut butter. Are you into the dried beans? I could do beans. Beans are good. I'm trying to think of non-perishable things, though. That's harder for me. Popcorn kernels, chocolate, and what is another non-perishable that's protein? Gotta have protein. I was gonna say Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll work it out. Um, Thank you all so much for your questions. Thank you, Grace, for being the voice of the questions. Anytime. And if you have a question you'd like to hear me answer, just send me a DM on Instagram at Tertian or drop an email to keep calm and cook on podcast at gmail.com. It's awesome to get your questions, so send them through. And before I head off, a quick word about an organization that is near and dear to Hallie and its feet in two worlds. Feet in Two Worlds has brought the work of immigrant journalists from communities across the United States to public radio and online news sites for years. They've also trained immigrant journalists and helped them to advance their careers. When I asked Hallie about it, she said the intersection of journalistic integrity with the focus on immigrant experience is critical in our media landscape. Feet in Two Worlds has devoted itself to that practice. It's noteworthy for that reason, among many others. For more about Feet in Two Worlds and their work, head over to fi2w.org. That's the number two. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Keep Calm and Cook On. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And if you have a few extra seconds, rate and review the show. It really makes a difference to help others find it. And let someone know about the show. Post about it on social media. Download an episode on your mom's phone. Text a friend. Each new listener is a new member of the community. For more about me and my work and my cookbooks, head over to juliatertian.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tertian. And thanks again to Great Jones for making this episode possible. Great Jones makes beautiful, thoughtfully designed cookware. To find out more about Great Jones, head over to greatjonesgoods.com. For $25 off of any purchase on greatjonesgoods.com, use the code POTCAST. That's P-O-T-C-A-S-T. I'm Julia Tertian, and I'll catch you next time. Until then, take care.